This episode is brought to you by our sponsors and by listeners like you on Patreon. Bomba's vision is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you are also giving to someone in need. Bombas has designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes you can't wait to put on every day. The Webb family over here has used them, and we love them. They're comfy, fun-looking, and come in family packs, which is awesome. I've never seen that before. I use my Bombas socks when I go on runs, and they're extremely comfortable. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, and has a cozy feel. And the Bombas t-shirts are made with thoughtful design features like invisible seams, soft fabrics, and perfect waist so they hang just right. And did you know that socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters? That's why Bombas donates one for every item you buy. So far, Bombas customers like you have helped donate over 50 million items of essential clothing. Go to bombas.com slash purple rocket and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash purple rocket for 20% off. Bombas.com slash purple rocket. Parents, school's out, summer's here, and the kids are back at home with a lot of free time. Go wild with wonder this summer without school. Enroll in a fun, flexible learning experience with over 140,000 online classes and camps for every kid with any interest. Look, as a fellow parent, I get the pressure of finding something engaging and useful for our kids to do over the summer break. OutSchool can help keep them engaged and their minds stimulating their imaginations firing. They offer every kind of class you can imagine, from entrepreneurship to freestyle dancing to art, even magic lessons. There's something for kids of all ages, grades, and interests. We homeschool in the web house, and we plan to get Aurora and Cohen signed up with some out-school activities to keep them engaged in a fun way and help them explore their talents and maybe discover some new ones. Out-school will have your kids loving to learn and having fun doing it. Head over to outschool.com slash purple rocket and use code purple rocket to learn all about out-school summer programs and save $15 on your child's first class. That's O-U-T-S-C-H-O-O-L dot com slash purple rocket to save $15 on your child's first class. Outschool.com slash purple rocket code purple rocket. And don't forget, parents, supporting our sponsors is a great way to support this podcast. And now, back to our show. The Purple Rocket Podcast presents Space Train. Previously on Space Train, Doug and the cadets were captured by Diva, a member of the Exiles and one of Goro's former students. Diva was forcing entire galaxies to watch nothing but shows about her, giving her complete control over their media influence and making a ridiculous amount of money through advertising. She even offered Leo a job helping her broadcast her shows deeper into the universe, and he accepted. Well, at first, 
Once Doug exposed Diva to all her fans in a live broadcast, the cadets escaped with an ashamed Leo in tow. And now for episode 13, The Space Farmer. The space train flew through space, winding around a floating gas station and over a red moon. Inside, Dallas was carrying a plate of food from the Cosmic Cafe back to his room. He walked by Doug, Lydia, and Leo, who were playing a game of holographic Monopoly. You sure you don't want to play? Lydia asked him as he passed. Totally sure, Dallas said, turning to face them and then walking backwards. Besides, this one here will probably cheat anyway. He pointed to Leo, who looked down at the game board ashamed. Get over it, Doug said. Dallas's beef with Leo was starting to get on his nerves. Ever since they'd left Diva's ship, Dallas had been cold and mean to Leo, almost a bully. I am over it, dude, Dallas said insincerely. Just make sure you hold that Monopoly money close. Leo's greedy paws might snatch it up when you're not looking. He reached the end of the room and turned back around to leave. We're not supposed to eat in our rooms, Doug called after him. Good to know, bro, Dallas said, walking out of the room. Doug shook his head. Don't listen to him, he told Leo. We're glad you're here. Yeah, don't worry about it. Lydia added, but Leo couldn't help but worry about it. He didn't want to be an outsider in the group. He was afraid that his temporary lapse in judgment would cost him the full trust of his friends, if he could even call Dallas a friend in the first place. <coughs> Blobby chirped Dallas's ear off all the way to the room. Dallas still didn't understand most of what he said, but having heard Blobby's rants inches from his ear for so long, he was starting to pick up patterns. Or at least he thought he was. The orange gelatin creature jiggled and clicked on his shoulder. I hear you, Blobbert, Dallas said, setting his plate down on the nightstand. I can't believe they're hanging with that traitor either. He should be in the prison car, if we have one. Blobby stopped and rolled his eyes. That's not what he was talking about. He chirped at something on the bed. <coughs> Dallas froze when he saw it. Sitting on top of his pillow was a dirty green and white John Deere hat. His John Deere hat. There was no mistaking it. He immediately recognized the small hole above the leaping Golden Deer logo from a piece of branch that had spat out of the wood chipper and nearly took his head off back on the farm. He picked up the cap and stared at it. Weird, he thought. He was almost positive he hadn't packed it for this trip, or any of the trips for that matter. How had it gotten here? The lights in his room flickered off and then turned back on. Soon after, Goro's voice sounded over the intercom above his door. Dallas, please report to the planetarium. The cadets are waiting for you. And you better not be eating in your room. After hiding the plate in his sock drawer, Dallas and Blobby quickly marched to the planetarium where the cadets sat waiting for him. Goro impatiently tapped his foot from the podium in front of them. 
Dallas sat down next to Lydia, making sure to sit as far from Leo as possible. Goro dimmed the light, reclined the chairs, and flipped the dome screen on above them. An image of the train's engines shone above. Since escaping Diva's ship, we have been pushing the train's engines to maximum thrust, Goro said, pointing to the image with a laser. The extra juice needed to make such a quick escape, however, has drained much of the train's power. The first car to suffer any damage, I'm afraid, was the Cosmic Cafe. What does that mean? Lydia asked. It means, my dear, that no food can be prepared or accessed. All chef robots are powered down, and they are the only ones who can access the food in the locked storage. I know what you're thinking... How did such a brilliant man create such a foolish system? To which I will say I did have access to the food, or at least I thought I did, but the tricky chef bots apparently changed the codes on me. Chefs, especially the robot ones, can be quite possessive and territorial. So we have no food? Doug clarified. That is correct, Goro answered. But, as luck would have it, we are within range of an exoplanet called Mudro. Goro clicked his remote and a dark brown planet appeared on the screen above. An exoplanet, or extrasolar planet, is a planet that orbits a star outside of our solar system. Many of them are Earth-like and exist within the habitable zone, which means they are uniquely positioned, like Earth, to support liquid water, and therefore life. We will stop here for provisions, make the necessary repairs, and continue on our journey. If there are no more questions, I will direct you to the exit where you will find your suit boxes waiting for you. Set them to no helmet mode before inflating. Our readings suggest the air is perfectly fine to breathe. I will stay behind to work on the train and reprogram the chef bots while you gather enough food to last us a few days. Report back here when the mission is complete. Before they left the room, Goro stopped Doug and handed him something. It was the Nor bracelet. Just in case, Goro told him, its power could come in handy for one of you. Hold on to it and only use it if absolutely necessary. As captain, you should be the one to decide. Okay, Doug said, tucking it away in his pocket. It made him feel good that Goro trusted him with such a big responsibility. As a space train made its descent through Mudro's atmosphere, the cadets suited up and waited at the exit. They felt that stomach-twisting sensation as they dropped quickly to the planet's surface, like they were going down a skyscraper in a really fast elevator. The feeling faded as they gradually came to a stop. When the exit doors opened, a flat, dark brown landscape was revealed. Emerging from their jelly huts, a crowd of people gathered and stood quietly, waiting to greet them as they stepped out. They were short and thin, almost sickly, their arms and legs not much more than tan skin on bones, popping out of dirty rags for clothes. Their faces were sunken under their dusty, dark green hair. One of them, the tallest of the bunch, but only by an inch or two, stepped forward. Welcome, visitors, 
he said in a wispy voice. Doug couldn't tell if the man was thirty or one hundred and thirty. He never realized how much he relied on skin to tell the age of a person. It looked as though everyone, no matter their size, had leathery, weathered skin. What brings you to us? Doug looked over the crowd. How was he supposed to ask these people for food when they looked like they hadn't eaten a full meal in their lives? We are in need of food, he finally said. We have money to pay you. Food? The skinny man questioned. He glanced around at his people who shook their heads at him, confused. He looked back at Doug. What is this food you seek of? Doug and the cadets exchanged a look. Food, you know. Um, 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 um. Lydia gestured, stuffing her face with invisible food. Is that supposed to be a burger? Dallas asked. If it is, that's the biggest burger I've ever seen. Yeah, it'd probably be more like this. You know, like a, a quarter pounder. Doug held up his hands to hold a more realistic invisible burger. Guys, seriously? Lydia snapped. Who cares? We're trying to explain ourselves here. The muddler people looked at them even more confused. Doug noticed the candy bar sticking out of Dallas's pocket. Psst, Dallas. He nodded to the candy bar. Toss it here. Dallas hesitantly tossed him the chocolate bar, which Blobby was not happy about. He clicked furiously as it flew over into Doug's hands. <laughs> Doug opened it and took a big bite. Mmm. See? Food. Food. He said with a mouthful. The man raised his eyebrows as if having an aha moment. He squatted down and cupped a handful of the dark dirt. Food, he repeated before popping the dirt into his mouth. The cadets watched disgusted as the man gleefully chewed the grainy powder. They're dirt munchers, Dallas said, unable to believe what he was seeing. A tiny woman carefully approached Doug and reached for his candy bar. Doug almost gave it to her, but Lydia pulled his hand back. Hold on, she said. That'll probably make her sick. If they've never eaten food before, then that is not the proper way to introduce it to them. Leo gestured to the train, then a lock, then to the people and shrugged. He's right, Doug interpreted. How are we supposed to give them food when all the food we have is locked up? Any ideas? They thought for a minute. Dallas was mainly thinking of the humongous burger Lydia made him imagine. It was bigger than his head and would have to weigh at least three pounds. The thought of it made him hungry. He wouldn't be if Goro hadn't so rudely interrupted his meal. What did he care if he ate in his room? His thoughts turned to the hat in his room. It made him think of the long spring days spent wearing it while he drove the tractor, preparing the soil and planting seeds for their crops. He had a lot of good memories in that old grungy hat. He remembered a morning a couple years ago when he'd gotten home late from the perfect day of surfing. His dad and brothers had already finished the day's work on the farm. They were not happy to see him. He went without dinner that night as a punishment. His dad had said something like, If you won't help plant or pick the food, you won't eat the food. 
And then in a softer tone, It's great that you love to surf, Dallas, but you're part of a family that depends on each other. In this family, we have responsibilities. You're a farmer first, a surfer second. Dallas thought about that as he looked out over the dark soil around them. There was tons of it, and assuming it had similar nutrients to the soil back home, it seemed like a crime not to use it. Suddenly, he got an idea. He ran inside and grabbed the hat from his room and his backpack from his closet. During planting season, he always brought home seed samples for his dad to test for the next season. It was one of his duties. He opened his bag and noticed there were more seeds than he ever remembered packing. The seed seller must have given me more than I paid for, he thought. He put the hat on and ran out to show the cadets and the muddlers his bag of seeds. We're going to teach these dudes how to farm, Dallas told the cadets. Dallas, that's brilliant, Lydia cheered, looking at him all starry-eyed. Doug didn't like that, but he had to admit it was a starry-eyed worthy idea. But I'm going to need your help, Douglet, Dallas said. Doug shot him a surprised look. Me? I know nothing about farming. Yeah, but you can build things. Think you could build me a tractor? (laughs) Maybe a toy version. I've never built anything that big before. Then Doug remembered the Norb bracelet Goro had let him bring along. The Norb seemed to be enhancing everyone's powers. Maybe he would do the same with his. Maybe he'd give him a little extra boost to construct something bigger. He pulled out the bracelet and put it on. I can try he told Dallas. They walked to a wide-open dirt field, followed by the group of muddlers, who stood watch, unsure what they were waiting to witness. Doug held out his hands and pictured a farm tractor. Piece by piece, he deconstructed the image in his mind until it was in thousands of little parts, most of which he didn't understand. As he focused on them, The norb in the bracelet started to glow green. The brighter it shone, the clearer the image became in his head. All of the tiny pieces started to actually make sense. In a few minutes that felt like hours, he saw himself putting the parts together in his mind's eye, occasionally blinking to see his outstretched hands trembling and millions of little components floating through the air, twisting and snapping together as they met in the field in front of them. Some of the parts were summoned from the space train. Others came floating out of the muddler's jelly huts. By the time he was done, his arms were spread wide, and his mind throbbed from the effort. One last piece screwed into place above the steering wheel, and he collapsed to his knees. The cadets stared at his creation in awe. It was magnificent! The muddlers nearly dropped to the ground and started worshipping it. Taking up a good chunk of the field was a tractor the size of a large grocery store. It must have been five stories tall with wheels the size of Ferris wheels. It's the king of tractors, Dallas mumbled. He stared in reverence at the behemoth piece of machinery like it was a gift from the farming gods. Doug, remind me to have you build me a surf park when we get home. Doug sat in the dirt, sweating and still trying to catch his breath. 
His arms felt like he'd been holding up an elephant. Leo sat down next to him and put his arm around him. What is this? asked the muddler leader, nearly in tears he was so overwhelmed by what he saw. That, my man, is what's going to help you grow food, Dallas told him. He has your ways, John, dear, the man said, reading the name on Dallas's hat. Lydia giggled. Dallas didn't bother correcting him. He didn't hate the nickname. All right, everybody, gather around, Dallas called out. The muddlers huddled around him like a giant football team as he took the seeds from his pack and began to teach them the basics of farming. He taught them how to prepare their soil, which from what Dallas could tell was extremely rich and would serve them well. He taught them how to plant, how to water, and how to pick the crop. As he demonstrated the steps, the muddlers soaked up every detail. Their favorite part, of course, was when Dallas drove the monster tractor through the field, plowing hundreds of rows at a time. They were quick learners, the muddler leader figuring out the tractor controls after only a few attempts. Near the end of the presentation, dark green storm clouds started to gather over them. Fat green raindrops pattered onto the tractor and ground, and then fell in buckets, making everyone run for cover. The worried muddlers looked out through the blanket of green rain at the enormous field they just planted, but Dallas assured them it'd be fine. Once the rain faded and the clouds gave way to the sunshine, every inch of the field was soaked. Well, looks like we won't have to water for a while, Dallas said, climbing out from his cover in the giant tractor. There were gasps of surprise among the muddlers as they pointed out at the field. Dallas and the cadets looked out and couldn't believe what they saw. Plants sprouted up out of the soil, growing an inch per second. Doug thought it looked like one of those nature shows where they use time-lapse photography to show a plant grow quickly. But this wasn't a camera trick. This was real time. Within a minute or two, full-grown crops taller than they were lined the rows in the field. Plump corn husks filled and bulged from the stalks as if they were inflated. Wheat stretched out of the ground and swayed in waves. To their amazement, everything they'd planted was full-grown. The muddlers were overjoyed. They jumped up and down. They did this weird arm-waving thing above their heads that the cadets could only assume was their version of a clap. The cadets were still too shocked to join in the revelry. How is that possible? Lydia asked, still gaping at the fields. It's not, Dallas said. At least, not on Earth. He waited for the field to dry before climbing back into the tractor and picking the crops. There was no need to spray pesticides for bugs, because the crop would only be in the ground for a couple of hours. Dallas couldn't help but laugh as he scooped up the perfect crop. It was every farmer's dream. After the last row of corn was plucked out of the ground, it was stacked in a giant pile, almost as big as the tractor, in the middle of the jelly huts. The muddlers danced around it and cheered. The celebration that followed was one for the record books. The muddlers sat Dallas up on his massive tractor throne and practically worshipped him. 
They erected a golden deer in the middle of the village in honor of John Deere and vowed to make the celebration a yearly tradition, a harvest festival in honor of the cadets and the space farmer. During the celebratory feast, Lydia closed her eyes as she felt a vision coming on. An image of an incoming ship flashed through her mind. It was a wide, flat ship, descending just on the other side of the hills. She saw it swoop down and scoop up large heaps of the planet's rich, dark soil. When it lifted off the ground, another ship just like it came swooping in to dig up its own load. Then another, and another. Her eyes opened. Someone's coming to steal their soil, she told Doug. Their what? Wait, did you just... Lydia nodded. Doug quickly turned to the others. Guys, we gotta go. Lydia's seen something. Leo and Dallas didn't push for answers. They quickly said their goodbyes and headed back to the space train. The muddlers bowed and cheered for them as they climbed aboard, still doing that weird arm wave thing they do when they're excited. The cheers grew muffled outside as the cadets ran into the cockpit where they found Goro playing with the controls. Quick, Goro, we've got to head over those hills, Lydia said. Someone's coming to steal the soil. Leo waved back towards the exit and gestured eating something. Actually, we don't need any of their food after all, Goro replied. Turns out the Mudro's incredible soil works as a very potent biofuel. It's given us the extra juice we need to power the whole train and get all systems back online. The cadets climbed into their seats while Leo and Goro prepped the engines for takeoff. With the push of a lever, they lifted off the Mudro's surface and rocketed towards the hills. As they slithered over the tops, they saw it. An incoming ship, flat and wide, just like Lydia saw in her vision. It was followed by a line of incoming dots. The rest of the ships, she could safely assume. Here they come, Lydia said, pointing to the ships. Bring us in close, Goro told Leo. Let's see if we can scare them off before they take anything. Leo steered the train up towards the first ship. As they approached, the flat ship slowed and then stopped. The ships behind it did the same. Leo pushed the lever further, sending the train charging towards them. Now Leo, not too fast, Goro said nervously. Leo ignored the warning and sped up. The flat ships were backing away now, turning around and retreating into Mudro's atmosphere. Leo followed after them. That's enough, Leo! It worked! Goro said, growing frustrated. Leo drove the train right up behind the last fleeing ship and then pressed a little button on the control panel. Psst. Something shot out of the space train and stuck to the back of the flat ship. Once he was sure the device was secure in transmitting, Leo let up on the boost and slowed the train. As the flat ships turned into dots out their cockpit window, Leo typed into the train's computer. One last key was punched and an image of the blinking device appeared on the screen, moving through a star map. A tracker, Doug said. Good thinking, Leo, Lydia said. Dallas and Blobby just humphed. Bold move, Leo, Goro said. You should have just told me. Leo shot him a look. Right. Well, go on, follow them. But keep a safe distance. Let's see if we can find out who's trying to take advantage of these good people. Leo hit the boost and sped off towards the fleeing dots. 
pretty intense. I wonder who is trying to steal Mudro's soil. Maybe we'll find out next time. Who knows? I think it's time for a Rocketeer shout out. Rachel and the Cabbage Patch Kids. Cameron, Mac, and Cadence. Your mom gave you guys the coolest nickname, Cabbage Patch Kids. Are you kidding me? That nickname is so cool, but it's even cooler if you guys know what Cabbage Patch Kids are. Thank you guys for being loyal Rocketeers. I hope you guys all enjoyed this episode of Space Train. I thought it was an appropriate spring episode, and I know I've done a couple stories along that theme of planting and growing I couldn't help but do one more, seeing as we had a farmer in the mix. And I'm sure it was inspired by the fact that my wife and I finally finished the garden out back, and it looks way better than it did last year. Now we just got to keep the bugs off it. And being in Texas, that's not easy to do. You walk outside, and there are like 50 bugs in your eyeballs. Not really, but really. So, wish us luck. Let's recap what we learned about exoplanets or extrasolar planets, shall we? An exoplanet or extrasolar planet is a planet outside of our solar system that orbits a star. And just as a reminder, our sun is a star. What's interesting about this is we are discovering more and more of these exoplanets as our telescope technology improves. And what's really exciting is that a number of these exoplanets, these extrasolar planets, are in the habitable zone. And what that means is they are the right distance from their sun to be able to harbor life, to be able to have liquid water, just like Earth. The Earth is uniquely positioned from our sun to be able to have water, to be able to have oxygen, to be able to have life. And we are discovering these exoplanets, these Earth-like planets out there, that could possibly have life on them. Now, what form of life? We don't know. It could be just bacteria. It could be more intelligent. That's it for this week's episode. Be sure to tune in next Monday for an all-new story. Thank you all for listening. This is your host, Greg Webb.